When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And just like that, the weekend came and it went, but that does mean we get to do a Sunday night edition of the Sooner Nation podcast. And you don't have to listen only to me this go around because Rich DeCray, finally back with us. Actually, it's me, the guy who's finally back. This isn't on Rich. This is totally on me, but back in Oklahoma City for a night before I continue my North American tour. So that means the one and only Rich is with us. Rich, how you doing? Um, you know, first of all, how you doing? <laughs> I, I didn't know if you're going to give me that opportunity to answer that question, but since we're here and we are taking that pause, I, I'm doing well, man. Yourself? Uh, well, I'm tired. I've, I've driven almost 3,000 miles in the last week, but it's all good. It's all good. Um, since you and I, you were, we were talking before we started recording. The last time you and I were together, everything was kind of right in the world as far as the Sooner Nation went. Now they had lost Bedlam, um, but Lincoln Riley was still the coach. Brent Venables was still the defensive coordinator at Clemson. And all of that has changed. All of that has just gone crazy since the last time you and I uh, have connected. And so now we're advanced. We're, we've got Oklahoma lost Lincoln Riley. Oklahoma gained Brent Venables. Bill Biedenboe stayed on this staff. Now you've got uh, an offensive coordinator hired. You, you've got a defensive coordinator hired. Jerry Schmidt is coming back to do this, uh, the strength and conditioning so this university, this football program is in a totally different spot than it was the last time you and I um, recorded together, but we can't, we can't go back in time and rehash everything that we've already stated, but why don't you take like just two minutes, give me your thoughts on, the, on how crazy this last couple of weeks has been, uh, number one, as a fan of this program, but number two, as a guy who has a mild interest in this program in terms of coverage? For starters, um, money talks. And that's very apparent and very clear to me. Um, Matt, in, in kind of what we can call the fallout between Lincoln Riley and the University of Oklahoma, whatever was happening behind the scenes, I don't know that anybody will know the details of that outside of those who were, were directly involved. And so one of these parties decides to publish a book, but my consistent thought process was, I understand people being upset um, because of how unexpected that move was, because of some of the verbiage that was used in the wake of the loss, Bedlam, of course, to Oklahoma State, and knowing that the opportunity not only to play for a conference championship, but to play in the college football playoff was completely gone. And granted, there needed to be a little bit of chaos at the top. Um, and when I say chaos, Georgia just needed to win, mm. ultimately. And I didn't think that Lincoln Riley moving to USC was the biggest move of December. Um, or I guess the end of November into the beginning of December. That one belonged to Brian Kelly to me. Moving from Notre Dame to LSU when you're... <laughs> your group of players still had a legitimate shot at the college football sure. playoff sitting right. at number five was something that I thought was inconceivable. Uh, needless to say, Notre Dame didn't make the college football playoff. Brian Kelly's gone for the bowl game. There's been a lot of shifting that has happened, but to me as a fan, the coach owes nothing to me. Absolutely nothing. We don't have a relationship. He doesn't know me from I was going to say Joe, but Joe sees the guy who automatically comes to mind when I use the name Joe, um, but he doesn't know me from Adam. At the end of the day, the coaches don't owe anything to me as the fan. I feel bad for the players because of how things transpired, finding things out on social media. And this isn't, I'm not talking about Oklahoma. I'm talking about in a broader sense, 
of coaches leaving in this current juncture when money is so it's just skyrocketing in terms of what you can make. So like I said, my, my reaction was Lincoln Riley doesn't owe me anything. I wish him the best. He's making a move that he feels is in his best interest. And at the end of the day, I, I'm not going to fault the guy for looking out for him and his own. So you're saying what I'm taking away from this is that Lincoln Riley never smoked brisket for you. Nope. Not at all. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> all right, so clearly we've got more to talk about in terms of the Oklahoma football program and we're almost into uh, a week, the week of bowl prep. It, it's approaching, uh, but let's, let's start, let's start with basketball and then we'll come back to football. We'll talk some recruiting. We'll talk um, true or false. I, I get to ask you the questions uh, this go around. We'll talk coaching hires, but uh, let, let's start with basketball, Oklahoma with the 88 to 66 win over number 12, Arkansas in Tulsa on Saturday, the Sooners eight and two on the season now. And it looks like, they're, they're going to be able to go into to Big 12 play on a little bit of a streak here because when you, when you look at the next, the next three games, or excuse me, the next two games, you got UTA coming to Norman on the 19th of December and then Alcorn State on the 22nd before you host Kansas State on January 1st. So with this Arkansas win, Oklahoma could easily jump in to Big 12 play on, on a three-game three winning streak. It would be four-game had they not kind of slept walk uh, against Butler, but you, you look at that Arkansas game, the Hogs came in 9-0 and on the season, ranked in the top 15, and Elijah Harkless just had the best game, obviously, of his season with a double-double, 11 rebounds, 21 points, and what, to me, Rich, the thing that, th this is where Oklahoma fans need to be careful, in my opinion, with Oklahoma basketball, because this was a night where shots were absolutely falling. They didn't fall against Butler when Butler moved to that zone defense in the second half, but they fell like crazy to the point where two big stats st step out to me. When I look at shooting percentage across the board, Oklahoma shot 54.9% from the floor, but from three point range, Oklahoma shot 59.1% from three point range and all five members of the starting five, each member of the starting five, I guess I, I should say it like that. Each member of the starting five made at least one three-point basket in this game, including Mo Gibson, who is four for seven, and Tanner Groves, who is three for five. When OU shoots like this, I think they can play with anybody in the Big 12. Well, who can't when you shoot at those percentages um, I'm going to agree with you in saying that it's unrealistic to expect this team to continue at that clip. But what we talked about, Matt, to begin the season was that this Oklahoma roster under Porter Mosier is, in terms of shot selection, they're making the right decisions. Mm -hmm. And it's leading to these higher percentages. I, I do think there are some weaknesses of this team that reared its head against Butler, but ultimately – I believe that this was a team that was capable of competing with some of the better teams in the country. We saw that with Florida. We've seen that with Arkansas. By the way, how good is this Arkansas-Oklahoma series going to be? They're, they're scheduled to play four years in a row. Right, right. Correct me if I'm wrong, but aren't all of those going to be at the BOK? I believe, I believe so because it's kind of like – I think they're trying to – it's a poor man's version of Oklahoma-Texas in, in, in the basketball realm where mm -hmm. the BOK center is like right at – halfway give or take a few miles halfway between Fayetteville and Norman so it gives it a, a good halfway point and and by the way while you're bringing that up it should be pointed out it should be noted that that was a pro Arkansas crowd at the BOK Center that there, there was certainly a, a lot of OU fans there but the majority of that crowd was cheering for Arkansas rather than Oklahoma so the the idea that OU had some sort of home court advantage because this was played within the state of Oklahoma. That's not true. This was a majority Arkansas base uh, in that, in that arena and still OU wins this game granted neutral side, but definitely not any sort of home court advantage for Oklahoma in this. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Arkansas, not that far from Tulsa, if we're being honest. And I know that a lot of people that live in the, the Northwest part of Arkansas going to town and, and that's going to Tulsa. When we're talking about a big city, they're going to Tulsa. So yeah, I, I watch the game. You see the crowd. 
You see who's in favor of that. You see the ranking there beside Arkansas's name as well. You see the undefeated 9-0 record entering the contest against Oklahoma, and you're expecting it to be a competitive game, but I don't know that many people would have predicted Oklahoma to win by 20. Um, They won that game by 22.66 to 88 at the end of the day. Matt, I did go in to pull up these stats here because Oklahoma on the year is shooting – uh, just under 50% at 49.9%. Right. That That's field goal percentage. But when you're shooting at three-point range and you're over 50, that's where the unexpected numbers come for me. Honestly, if Oklahoma shoots at 40% on any given night throughout the Big 12, I think that's going to be a competitive game where they're putting themselves in a position to win that. I said at the beginning of the year, this was a team for the first time in quite some time. I didn't feel like they were playing undersized. You've got a 6'3 point guard in Goldwire. Yes, you take a step down to 6'1 when Mo Gibson's running that position. Outside of that, you've got Cortez who could also run the point. And we're looking at guys who are 6'3. I would love for them to be 6'4, but an inch isn't all that big of a difference when we're talking about height on the basketball court at the point guard position. But where it really makes a difference is down low. You've got the Groves brothers, 6'9 and 6'10. And then you've got uh, another center is, is Zonka. Is that how you say the last it's name? Zonka. I actually need to read that one. Is, about yes, thank you. Yeah. Yes, who's who's 7'1". So like I said, I know he's not getting a ton of minutes, but you look at the height that's on this roster and, and realize for the first time in quite some time, Oklahoma's not playing a center who's 6'8" or six, seven and expecting to clean up on the glass. Yeah. Well, that's going to be a huge benefit moving forward. And it it was a benefit on Saturday because Arkansas was touted as being this, this defensive rebounding team and this, you know, they, they had really kind of pride themselves in, in beating their opponents on the boards and, and OU out rebounded the hogs 36 to 29. So you've got, that's a, that's a good advantage for Oklahoma, which goes exactly with what you're saying about how they can really, Kind of, and I like I like what I'm seeing in the coaching of Porter Mosier, because he he's learning what his team can and can't do, and and really this game played right into his hands, because they didn't, I mean Arkansas has one of the tallest guys in all of college basketball, um, but they they didn't really, what they did was they just kind of packed inside and told Arkansas you know what try to beat us by shooting three point shots. Because where that is a strong point for the Sooners, they, there was one guy uh, who made multiple three-point shots and was greater than 50%. That was the Davis kid who was four of eight. But as a team, Arkansas was seven of 24 from three-point range because Porter Mosier packed his guys, the Groves brothers, or, uh, you know, uh, I, I'm loving Chagua, what he's given off the bench uh, as a big. But he really packed his guys inside and said, you know what, You're, you, we're going to make it really difficult for you inside but go ahead and take those three-point shots. And Arkansas, because of the way Porter Mosier coached this, Arkansas really shot themselves out of this game. I did find it interesting that Muslim, Eric Musselman, the, the head coach for Arkansas, I don't, I don't think I've ever seen a coach become that frustrated and that angry at officiating over such a minor no call. I mean, Arkansas, Oklahoma was actually whistled more times for fouls than Arkansas was, but this man just lost his ever loving mind to the tune of getting two immediate technical fouls and getting ejected and still wanting to go after the officials. Um, I, I think that was more, in my opinion, that was more frustration over getting out coached and really just getting worked on the bench by Porter Mosier. This is the first big time matchup where, in my opinion, where, where Oklahoma's had Porter Mosier, and you see a, a clear exit of the nose advantage on the OU bench over a an opponent, because you know you you play you play UTSA right, and and you really can't tell the difference between the coaches because the talent on the floor there's such a dispar a disparity, but when you play a team like Arkansas number twelve and you just run rolling by twenty two points. You can see the difference in coaching. And I think Musselman was probably more aggravated and upset and frustrated over his game plan just not working against what Porter Mosier was doing. And then the rest kind of caught the, the brunt of that. But what, what did you think about his ejection? And uh, when I was watching that take place, I, I get being upset over some of the no calls because you're looking for any kind of momentum mm-hmm. to swing into your favor. And when one of those opportunities – 
simply falls by the wayside, you internally, I think, raise your hands and say, okay, like, is this how we're going to call the game or did they just miss a call? And for me, it fell more in the category of this was how the game was being called. But from Musselman's perspective, I also think as a head coach, he's looking for a way to light a fire under his team because Arkansas is not out of the contest at that point in time. It's not this 20 point lead, this insurmountable number for Arkansas. And if you can light that fire and get your players on the court to actually deliver some kind of emotion that isn't frustration, it, it could reap positive benefits. I, I see what you're saying, but I can't get on board with that because it was a four point swing <laughs> plus the ball for OU. I mean, yeah, yeah, that, yeah, of course. Free throws. So, um, Okay, so OU sitting good, uh, two and two and one in the in the last in the last two game in the last three games, and two of those both of those wins being over top fifteen opponents. Let's move on to football. We we might just a, a little bit of a, a foreshadowing here. We might see some more basketball talk in the true or false segment of the podcast. But let let's jump in here, uh, real quick update on recruiting. Now that that Brent Venables, have you got used to saying Brent Venables as a head coach yet? No, not at all. <laughs> now that Brent Venables is getting his staff put together, both on the offensive and defensive sides of the ball, you're starting to see where the direction of this program is heading in terms of the recruiting field. Now, OU hosting two former Florida Gator commitments over the weekend, four-star quarterback from Flower Mound, Texas, Nick Evers, four-star wide receiver from Winter Garden, Florida, Jay, uh, Jaden Gibson. It's looking really good, Rich, for both of these guys to jump in on this 2022 class. And, and I, I said this uh, when I was recording alone, is that when knowing that Spencer Rattler is in the transfer portal, regardless of what Caleb Williams elects to do after the bowl game, you got to go after quarterbacks in this 2022 class because you, you've got, uh, I, and I brought up the fact, and so if, People are listening. You, you heard me say this earlier in the week, but you, you lose Chandler Morris, you lose Tanner Mordecai, and now you lose Spencer Rattler. OU will add multiple, in my opinion, they will try to add multiple quarterbacks in the next two years on, on their recruiting classes to try to make up for that. And, and again, what, what Caleb Williams decides to do is going to affect how many they really go after. I think it's looking better for Caleb Williams to stay than it is for him going. He did say he wants to play in the bowl game and make a decision after that, but he was at the uh, the Butler basketball game. He's still seen on campus. He's practicing with the team, clearly going to play in the bowl game. I think he's going to have the opportunity to have some really good conversations with Jeff Levy. And there's no, you know this, Rich, there's no greater recruiting tool than having a kid on your campus. And, and basically Jeff Levy has Caleb Williams on campus because he's a part of this team for, for the next 18 days. And, and then he'll make a decision. Uh, but Nick Evers, Jaden Gibson, uh, both four-star recruits, 2022 class, um, they they look positive to jump in and join this class. And then you got a kid, a local kid, uh, Deshaun Brown, three-star edge rusher from Choctaw, who looks like he might be able to jump in uh, on this class. And then uh, just, just today, we're recording this on December 12th, just today, Alton Tarber, uh, a defensive lineman from Deerfield Beach, Florida, had been committed to Georgia Tech, and he decommitted and is looking Oklahoma's way. So there's four, two offensive, two defensive, two defensive guys that you're going to want to know about. But then it gets really interesting beyond that because there's some familiar names that might swing back around full circle, and those are guys like Kobe McKenzie, Gabe, Gabe Dindy, those guys who decommitted and have actually committed other places, Kobe McKenzie with the Longhorns, Gabe Dindy with Texas A&M, both of those guys are rumored to have been uh, maybe some buyer's remorse and looking back around to Oklahoma as this defensive staff comes together. Yeah, I hate to say it, but it, these recruits, uh, it, it, they have every right to react because that is big news. And you sit on two sides of the fence, one or the other. You can't split it. One is you've either committed to the program, you've committed to a coach. Right. You can't really commit to both, which is what I love about a guy like a Danny Stutzman, who we saw really start to flourish in this system under mm -hmm. Alex Grinch. Granted, Alex Grinch is wrong, but he's coming out and saying, look, I committed to a program. When it comes to Caleb Williams, I do believe Oklahoma needs to recruit quarterback they need to get one 
on the list for 2022 and they need to get one on campus. Whether that's in the spring or the fall or the summer doesn't really matter to me, but they do need to have a recruit and we'll know just how big of a priority that is after the bowl game. As you mentioned, Caleb Williams with that decision. Now, when I'm looking at what's happening here, I think people did have a knee jerk reaction. I think recruits were included in that. And you're kind of waiting to see where this dust settles before making a final decision. And national signing day is, is just around the corner. So these players who are planning on signing during the early signing period, they have a lot to wade through. They have a lot of mud to sift through before they make those decisions and having a guy, a head coach, having an offensive coordinator, now having a defensive coordinator in place does a lot to whether reassure that a recruit that his decision was right in parting ways with his commitment to the University of Oklahoma and committing elsewhere or reconsidering and recommitting to the University of Oklahoma. It helps those decisions to have those pieces in place well before this bowl game. The odd thing and the one question that I continuously hear, though, is how is this transition going to work? Because we know that Bob Stoops has already agreed to be the interim coach for the Oklahoma Sooners. Oklahoma goes in, hires Brent Venables as the head coach, and Coach Stoops is out making recruiting visits, making sure that he's connecting with these individuals and representing the university. I'm all over the place at the moment because my mind is shifting to to Caleb Williams, and I was just going to say this when I had mentioned him earlier was, and his family uprooted themselves right. from the DMV area to Oklahoma, to Norman during his senior year of high school for the sole fact that he was going to play at the University of Oklahoma. I don't know that a family can make a move like that twice. So I feel like it may be something going into Oklahoma's favor um, as a con for the family not being able to move, but as a pro for yeah. fans and for the program. Um, if Caleb Williams did decide that the University of Oklahoma wasn't for him anymore, I, I just feel like that would be a difficult transition. But back to the whole recruiting scene, Matt, um, I, I want to ask you a quick question on it. Oklahoma did lose some recruits. We saw the 2022 and more specifically the 2023 class kind of crumble. When Brent Venable steps on campus and begins these recruiting efforts, is this first year going to be taking anyone that they can get? Or are you really buying into what Britton Venables is saying that they want to vet the players? They want to know their character, not just the competitor that they are, not just what they bring to the table as a football player, but also their, their character. And like I said, they want to vet these players before extending that offer. No, I, I, first of all, I, I think when you, when you look at the 2022 class, this is a class that still ranks number 21 nationally. You're still a top 25 recruiting class. You're number two in the Big 12, and you got heavy hitters still. You got you got the running back uh, out of uh, Littleton, Colorado, Gavin Salchuk. You've got Jinchy Williams from the state of Oklahoma. You've got big offensive linemen in Jake right, Taylor. Right, top 100 and, guys right yeah, there. Yeah, I mean, so this this class and you know it, Rodney Anderson's little brother still involved in this in this class. And and again, you might still get Gabriel Down Brownlow Dindy coming back, and 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 you might. You, you might get Kobe McKenzie coming back, but this is still a strong class. And so I, I do think that they're not rushing anything. I, I don't think they're just saying, okay, if the door's open, who wants to come in and be a part of this mm-hmm. class? Because I, I think there's a particular mindset they're looking for in players. And I, I also feel like, man, this, I, I don't, I don't mean to sound as negative as it's, it's going to sound, but I think there's a reason why Calvin Thibodeau is moving on to SMU. I think there's a reason why Brian Odom is moving on to, to USC. Now the Brian Odom, when that, that really, it bothers me more than it surprises me because he's an Oklahoma guy, but I also get it because he's a Grinch guy, but they're, they're trying to completely. That's fitting at Christmas. <laughs> they're trying to completely redo this defense the offensive side of the ball, these guys, you're learning these guys want to play in a system that puts them in a the best opportunity they have to get to the NFL. And that's why you're seeing Gavin Salchuk stay as a part of this class. That's why you're seeing Jake Taylor and Jacob Sexton stay a part of this class because you've got Jeff Levy, who's 
we saw what he did at Ole Miss. We saw what he did at Central Florida. He's an innovative guy that can get offensive guys to the NFL. And Bill yeah, Biedenboe, yeah. still a part of this class. And and so are still part. he's still developing these offensive linemen. And so these offensive linemen, these skill position guys, I don't think they're going to go anywhere. And I, you, you're, you're, I think you pretty much hit the nail on the head with Caleb Williams. And what I said, this is going to be a repeat again, but at this point, if Caleb Williams does not stay at the University of Oklahoma, I think it basically can be summed up by the fact that he just doesn't want to be here anymore because Jeff Levy is exactly what Caleb Williams needs. You look at the success that he had um, with Dylan Gabriel at UCF. You look at the success he had with Matt Corral at Ole Miss. Caleb Williams is a better quarterback athletically than both of those guys. So Caleb Williams can thrive under Jeff Levy if he wants to be here. If he leaves, it's because he doesn't want to be here anymore. And I just, if he doesn't want to be here anymore, why is he going to basketball games? Why is he seen around campus? Uh, I mean, I, I just, I'm with you. I don't, I'm not buying in to the fact that they were this late in the game and he might still leave. I, I do think he's a guy who he's, he has wisdom beyond his, his years in as much as he thinks things through really, really well before he makes a decision. And I think he approaches from all angles. I think he really listens to the advice of his family. Um, but I think at the end of the day, the longer we move towards the first of the year, the more likely it is that Caleb Williams is a part of this team in 2022. If he's not, then I don't think Levy has any choice other than to go to the transfer portal. And I think that raises the odds of a guy like Dylan Gabriel being here on campus next year, uh, why they're trying to develop a young quarterback behind him. But I don't, I think that's the backup plan. I think clearly they want to move forward with Caleb Williams. And I, you almost get the indication that Caleb Williams uh, wants to move forward with them uh, in this process of coaching and playing offense at the university of Oklahoma. One thing that, that we typically forget Matt, is that Oklahoma's had a lot of success with quarterbacks yeah. before Lincoln Riley ever arrived on campus. Right. We can go back even to, I mean, if you really wanted to, the wishbone era. And you can talk about guys like Jamel Holloway. You can talk about the recruitment. I know things didn't work out um, because of what transpired after the injury of Troy Aikman. Mm -hmm. But you can fast forward even to the early 2000s. And Bob Stoops isn't going anywhere. I mean, I drive by his home almost daily here in Norman. Bob Stoops isn't going anywhere. He's made that very clear by his willingness to step into this interim role. The fact that he uses an inclusive term of we when he right. references the right. University of Oklahoma and the football program tells me a lot about his commitment to Norman and to this university and to making sure that this is a program that succeeds, whether his son is on the team or not, whether his son is on the sideline as a coach or not. I get the vibe that that Stoops is an Oklahoma guy through yeah. and through. Obviously, well, he, a majority of his career yeah. was been here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so when when I look at, at what's transpiring, Matt, with this, this Oklahoma team and the quarterback position is, man, did we just forget about Jason White? A Heisman winner? Did did we forget about Josh Heupel? Did did we forget about these names? Sam Bradford. Um, this one may be a little bit of a darker stain at the University of Oklahoma for some players, but his talent was undeniable. Rhett Bomar. Uh, I know that there's another name, Landry Jones, who yeah. a lot of people are a fan of either. But these are guys who were record setters in their careers and were bettering the guy that came before them. Brent Venables was there at that time. And mm -hmm. if you think that type of a legacy is just going to disappear at the university of Oklahoma and the big 12 is going to become this defensive conference. I I'm sorry, but I think you're wrong. The no, quarterback, I, yeah. the line and that progression isn't going anywhere. I do think, I do think Oklahoma defensively is going to look and play differently with Brent Venables Absolutely. Uh, here. Um, and, and you look at the, the moves they're, they're making moves to make this a, a, um, not just physically stronger, but mentally stronger of a program when that, and that's what, that's what it's so key about Jerry Schmidt coming back and being a part of this program because he's going to help bring about a new level of physicality. And really that's, I think that's for the defensive side of the ball more than anything else. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, look, OU, OU has Lincoln Riley 
given credit for, for the back-to-back Heisman winners, given credit for putting Kyler Murray and Baker Mayfield and Jalen Hurts in the NFL, but you're right. I mean, Oklahoma has had offensive success uh, since Bob Stoops stepped on campus with Josh Heupel. Um, and putting guys, you know, Josh Heupel was drafted by the Miami Dolphins. A lot of people forget about that. Jason White was drafted <laughs> by by the Titans. A lot. I mean, so Sam Bradford. I mean, these guys have. He's been. OU has been putting guys in the NFL. Um, now, granted, Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, and Jalen Hurts a little bit more successful in their early careers than those other two guys were meant that I mentioned. But the point is, you're spot on that that OU. OU was, was succeeding with quarterbacks before Lincoln Riley, and they'll succeed with quarterbacks post Lincoln Riley. Mm. I, I wanted to mention one thing about Jerry Schmidt coming back to the University of Oklahoma from Texas A&M as the strength and conditioning coach. I, I guess let me form this in a question because I want to see if you're on the same side of the argument that I am in. Uh, did you feel as though strength and conditioning was probably one of the weaker points in the past five years? Right. That's why. That's what I, I. Why. That's why I just said. I think they're they're making moves to make this a mm-hmm. a fundamentally strong I, I'm not just, team. I'm not talking just about the physicality, which is what you mentioned specifically. I'm talking about we stepped on after the pandemic, um, knowing that players were most more than likely sitting at home. The Big Twelve elects to play their season, and you see individuals come in who are just rusty. Looks like they hadn't been doing any type of conditioning Mm -hmm. physically or mentally for that matter. And there was some kind of a breakdown and we always pointed at the offensive line. Well, that continued. We saw those struggles on the offensive line this year as well. And I just don't know how much of that I'm actually attributing to the conditioning and whether these players were pushed to the limit. Cause I can tell you this, it's not fun to be pushed to your limit. I've been there physically where you just start throwing up that's not a fun spot to be in but if it makes you better and it gets you to that next level we're talking about the nfl i think you'll look back on it and say it was well worth it no i i agree i agree with you all right so we're going to move on and talk about new coaching hires um uh, I've already given lots of thoughts on Jeff Levy, but Rich, I'm going to let you uh, give a, a thought or two on that. And then we're going to move in talking about Ted Roof. I've got four reasons uh, why Ted Roof is the right choice for Oklahoma at the defensive coordinator position. So we're going to jump into that right after this. This is the Sooner Nation podcast. All right, guys, you can always find us on Twitter at Sports Heartland on the Sooner Nation podcast. You can hit us up with your thoughts, comments, suggestions, questions. Uh, We are going to move into true or false later on. If you've got an idea for true or false, we'd love to hear from you at Sports Heartland on Twitter. You can also find us on the internet every day, heartland-sports.com. Crazy, crazy stat here, Rich, but over 50,000 people have visited the website in the last week, and uh, we're really thankful for all you guys that just check in. If it's just for a minute, for one article or if you're perusing through the thunder content all the other stuff we have going on there thanks so much for visiting the website um rich i i've already shared my thoughts on jeff levy uh, in previous podcasts but again we've not been able to have you on so like we did at the beginning of this episode take just a couple minutes share your thoughts on jeff levy and then we're going to move into ted roof because this has happened since my last recording and and we both get to talk about this uh together because it's so new Jeff Levy, I think, was the home run hire that Oklahoma needed for the offensive coordinator position, a guy who clearly has the ability to work with quarterbacks. And I would like to believe without knowing, um, without looking, obviously, the most recent project is Ole Miss. Everybody talks about Matt Corral, talks about being there as, as a Heisman finalist. And the job that Levy did with Corral during his time at Ole Miss while they were there together, what I want to say about him is that I wish and I hope that he's this quote-unquote quarterback whisperer that everybody tied to a guy like Lincoln Riley and saying that was really his bread and butter. Why? Because he catered his offenses to the talents and to the strengths of his quarterback, which I think is wise instead of trying to plug a player in to a system, you mold your system around those strengths. It sets them up for success. Levy is one of the brightest offensive minds in college football, in my opinion. Right now, he's one of those rising stars. 
he's not an old guy either. So you know that he's got a lot of life left mm-hmm. in him uh, before you quote unquote, and I hate to use this term, but it's the one I'm going to use, put him up on the shelf. However, I, I don't know um, if there's a negative side for me on the, on the field issues, but I know that Levy was also tied to the Baylor scandal. And so I have some, some concerns there, if I'm being honest with you on the field product. Great though. I, I've got no complaints. Yeah. That might come up again. Uh, hint, hint towards uh, the, the true or false portion <laughs> of the podcast. Hey, let, let's move into, to Ted roof. Now, now I want you to be very honest with me. Okay. Before Ted roof was hired. And like, I'm talking about the, even the day before when the rumors came out, did you know who this guy was? I, I didn't. Okay. Honestly, that name never crossed my place. I, I've never heard anyone mutter or utter those words. That name, Ted Roof, I, it's just not, yeah, it's just not something that's ever been on my radar, an individual. Well, and, and I think that that describes the majority of the Sooner Nation. And, and that's why there was some pushback and there has been there continues to be some pushback because they're like oh my gosh who is this guy he was a defensive analyst i mean he, this guy you know and and you're right the home run hire was jeff levy and then the the thud hire was ted roof and and he, he's an older guy he's in his 50s and he's been around for so long but um this is a guy i think i've got four reasons why i think he's a good fit at the university of oklahoma in the capacity uh that he's in and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you those four reasons, Rich. And then I, I'd love to hear, well, we'll go one by one. And I'd love to hear your, just a quick rebuttal or response or an agreement to these four. And then if you've got a reason or two, you want to add in there, even if you got four, uh, I'd love to hear yeah, your thoughts yeah. thoughts on it as well. But but here, do you want, so you have some, I mean, do you want to alternate? I do. Or do you want, yeah, man, let's, let's alternate it. Okay. I'll jump in there first, if you'd like right. for me No, to. you go first. Yeah, um, I'd love Number to one, yeah, number one, why I believe that Roof was, the right hire for Oklahoma is, and this is this this one trumps all my other reasons. It's because it's not as a head coach. <laughs> as ludicrous as that may sound, here's what I know: Roof did not have the best record. But it at was at Duke. Duke. I mean, it was at Duke, Duke. Rich. Exactly. I mean, come Duke on. is not. Man, but we said the same thing about Carolina, and look at where Carolina's at. No, no, North Carolina actually had been better than Duke in football. And even the first the first edition of Matt Brown at North Carolina, he had that's why he left and got the Texas yeah, job because of success true. at North Carolina. Duke, until David Cutcliffe got there, Duke has not been a juggernaut anywhere near being described a juggernaut in football. It's a basketball school. It's it's the Kansas right. and the ACC. Right. <laughs> So when it comes to roof, Matt, what I know is that his success as a head coach, it isn't the greatest in terms of a record, but what I look at with him as an individual, as a guy and what he's bringing to the table is this vast experience. We've seen that he's moved around to numerous different conferences, the ACC, he's been in the big, the big 10, he's been in the SEC, um, which is really just going to bleed into number two. It's it's his experiences. And I know we said we're going to alternate, but I'm giving you two reasons up front. One is that Oklahoma is not hiring him as the head coach. And two is it's his vast experience. Um, I know everybody wants to talk about Auburn. I know everybody wants to talk about the defense that he put on the field, leading Auburn to that national championship. And then, of course, going on as Clemson, as a defensive analyst, this is a guy who has the ability to recognize anything that's being thrown his way and his experience is something that I don't think should be undervalued on this roster, especially when it comes to game planning. And I know that when you're sitting next to a guy like Brent Venables, who has been a defensive coordinator for umpteen years as an assistant coach, 27 years, 29 years, 27. I don't remember the exact number for Brent Venables, but he's going to bring defensive ideas as well. And two heads are better than one when you're looking at one problem and attempting to solve it. And I think it's more of they're going to be co-defensive coordinators rather than it is just passing 100% of the reins off to a guy uh, like, um, like, can I just call him by his first name or do I have to say roof? 
It's just weird for me to say roof. Anyway, those are my first two reasons. Well, and to, to add to what you just said, you, there, Oklahoma's uh, putting Brandon Hall on this staff to coach safeties. And he, he, this is a guy who was also a defensive coordinator at Troy and is going to bring in a more defensive coordinator experience. They were the number 28 total defense, uh, the number 23 uh, passing defense just this last season. So you're adding a ton of experience to this coaching staff in the form of coordinators. You've got you went from Alex Grinch, who, and again, I'm not going to jump on and just and 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 dogpile on these guys because they left. Because you can't hide the fact that that Oklahoma's defense did improve under Alex Grinch. But you're going to go from Alex Grinch to three guys who have defensive coordinator experience. So you went from one defensive coordinator to three defensive coordinators. And like you said, two heads are better than one. Well, how about three heads are better than better than two. And that's where you're looking at here. When you're, you're talking about experience, I, I'm going to give you two and they're both going to talk to what you just said. Uh, number one, Ted Roof is a national champion. You, you brought it up now. Oh, uh, sorry. Say Oklahoma Auburn won the the bcs national championship and everyone's going to point to the fact that yeah well you have cam newton on that team that was an offensive juggernaut and and that just you know that's the reason they won and i'm not going to i'm not going to take that away from anybody but that 2010 auburn team went undefeated with the roof at the helm of this defense they went 14 and 0 in regards to oklahoma can attest this look at the, the best offense oklahoma had the best offense they had in the bob stoops era in my opinion was 2008 that offense set all kinds of scoring records, but you know what they did? They lost a game. They lost a game because Ryan Reynolds got hurt in the Cotton Bowl against the Texas Longhorns, and <laughs> they're, they're, it became a defensive liability. So it doesn't matter how good your offense is. You still need defense. And under Ted Roof, that defense held Oregon to 30 points below its season average. The Ducks went into that game averaging 49 points a game that season right and they scored 19 they scored 19 against and then cam newton doesn't play defense so when you look at the national champion oklahoma if they want a defensive guy do you want a big you want a gabriel brownlow dindy you think he fits what you're doing you want to go after him you can send brent venables in there He's got a national championship ring. You can also send. He's Ted, got three of them. Well, that's the point. Yeah, you can also send <laughs> Roof in there with national championship. Guess what? Offensive guys, you can send Brent Venables to recruit a running back or a quarterback or a wide receiver with his national championship ring. And 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 Gundy, Kale Gundy, can go in there with him with a national championship ring. You've got three coaches on this staff now who can tell kids, you know what? Hey, um, we we got we know how to get the rings. And that's huge having another, not just that you've got another defensive coordinator, but it's huge having another, um, a, a, another national champion on your, on your coaching staff. And then you mentioned the experience. And so I won't keep as, as I won't talk as much to that as what you just did, because I agree with everything you said, but, but keep in mind that when he steps foot on Oklahoma's campus and coaches his first game next September, it will be the big 12 will become the fourth power five conference that he has coached in. So he's already coached in every conference except for the PAC 12 and the big 12. And now this coming year, he'll coach in the big 12. This is a guy who has a massive footprint when it's not when it in terms of recruiting connections and understanding the geography of the uh, he's been in the sec he's been in the acc i mean he's been around he's been in the big 10 and when you talk about the power shift that's going to take place when oklahoma moves into the sec well the guy's been at alabama he's been at auburn he's been at vanderbilt he knows the sec and he knows recruiting patterns and that's why his experience is going to pay off for brent venables really in the area of recruiting as well and just listen to what Brent – this is what Brent Venables said. This is a quote from, from Venables about Ted Roof. It says he has a tremendous wealth of knowledge and experience, most of which has been in the southeastern part of the country where he is, and I and quote, very well connected. Why do you think Venables specifically said the southeastern part of the country? Yeah, because OU is heading to the SEC, and that is huge. So uh, touching with the first two things you said, we're on the same page like we typically are. But let me move on to my third one. And this is a really, really short one. This guy knows how to coach defenses that can score. And that, and that BCS championship game against Oregon, 
Auburn scored a safety just two seasons ago in 2019 when he was the defensive coordinator at Appalachian State. The Mountaineers, they led the nation in defensive touchdowns where Alex Grinch came in and he really wanted to put a, a priority and emphasis on getting turnovers. Ted Roof's defense take it a step further. And not only do they want turnovers, but they want to score off of turnovers. So that's that's huge uh, with when you're looking at the mindset and the direction and the focus of this defense. So the fact that he coaches defenses to score, that's my third thing, why he's a good fit here at OU. Yeah, the third thing for me, Matt, um, and I'm going to go ahead and give you number three and number four, because number three for me was the ties to SEC country, to the southeast part of the United States. And I'm not going to harp on what you've already said. There's no, no reason for me to restate that, but it's undeniable, which is number four. Um, and it's another statement that we're buying into from Brent Venables and that's roof's ability as a recruiter. Mm-hmm. We're looking at Oklahoma taking the next step forward and being able to compete. Of course, they're competing on a national level already they're just not winning those games and while a lot of other programs want to use that as a knock against Oklahoma those other programs aren't aren't at that level of competition and have no clues what it's like right some have knocked on the door they just haven't quite gotten there and so when I look at Oklahoma moving to the SEC attempting to take that next step forward they're going to have to have a closer a guy who can step in more specifically on the defensive side of the ball, a guy who can step in and be that closer in heavily contested States like Florida, Georgia, a heavily contested state, Mm. Louisiana, Texas, all of these, these state lines are starting to be blurred in terms of the recruiting um, landscape. And if you don't have ties to the Southeast part of the country, it's just going to be very difficult for you to get over that final hurdle and win that national championship as the conference alignments do shift. Right. So let me, let me give you my last one here then. And it's just, uh, I don't know that we've talked about this angle as much, but this is why I think he's a great fit uh, on, on game day is that he he knows what Brent Venables wants from a, from a defensive perspective. He he knows the prep work, he knows the schematics, he 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 knows the fundamentals, he, he knows everything about the schemes and it's just not reasonable to expect now that Brent Venables is the head coach, it's not reasonable to expect him to be all in on the defense on game day. You know, he may have to go and talk to the offensive coordinator. Well, guess who's on the field when Brent Venables is talking to the offensive coordinator, that's going to be the defense. He may have to go talk to special teams. He may have to go do something else that takes away from his time with the defense on the field. And if he is the defensive coordinator, then he can't really go back and and do that, that game management stuff on the sideline that he needs to. And roof being a guy who was with Brent Venables at Clemson, who sat in the, in the press box, who called down plays, called down what he sees, knows what Brent Venables wants, likes and needs from his defense. This guy's going to come in. I, I said this in a post I wrote for Heartland sports. Brent Venables is one of the best defense defensive coordinators in the nation and Ted roof in this capacity is going to be an extension of Brent Venables. Brent Venables is going to turn the offense over to Jeff Levy and say, Hey man, this is your thing. You do you and have fun with it. Um, He's not going to do that with the defense. That's why Jeff Levy, the offensive coordinator hire, it needed to be a splash hire. It needed to be a big home run type thing. It didn't need to be that way with the defensive coordinator. You needed you need more of a guy that fit than you did a guy that would catch the headlines. And and Riff, uh, he definitely is the guy that fits, in my opinion. I have just an odd observation. Um, I don't even know if I should ask it on this podcast, but we're halfway in, so we might as well finish this route. When we look at this Oklahoma coaching staff and the way that it's shaping up, you look at the names that are being retained. You look at the names that are being hired. Uh-huh. under Brent Venables. And, and one of the things I think Oklahoma is losing from their coaching staff in a mass number at this point in time is coaches who are people of color. Are, is Oklahoma, in terms of recruiting and making connections with recruits who are also of color, are, are they making a misstep potentially here? 
that's a really interesting perspective. And I, I'm going to say no, uh, just because this staff's not complete yet. Um, I, I think when you look at kids who play on this level of, of football, they want, I, I got, I guess you got to tread lightly here, but say it the way you mean it. And in as much as I think kids want to go for the best fit for success, regardless of the ethnicity of the coach, who's going to be coaching them. I, mm-hmm. I, I think you're, you're going to continue to see coaches of color added to this staff. I, and I don't know that it's even fair to, to speak about to this point because the staff's not complete, but I, if you're going to Oklahoma, you're going because you think you can play in the NFL and you're going to want to go and be coached by a guy who has the best chance to put you in the NFL. And I don't think you're really going to care what color that coach is at that point. Does that, does that make sense? Um, yeah. Yeah. But I, yeah, I, I like do, I said, it's just, it's just an observation. Yeah. That I, I've I do, noticed I you, cause you mentioned a, a couple who are leaving. Yeah. I do think it's an interesting observation. I think it's a good observation, but I think you're going to, I think you're going to see, I think you're going to see a diverse staff by the time it's all said and done. But again, I don't, I don't know that. Um, I, I don't know that diversity plays that big of a role across the board with recruits as it does as far as talking heads and something to talk about. I, I can tell you that in my experience with my own son who was recruited, I mean, he, he wasn't recruited like Caleb Williams for sure, but the kid had six scholarship opportunities when he graduated high school. We never once considered the ethnicity of the head coach. Mm-hmm. We, we looked at where's the best fit for him. And I, I think that that was small school ball. He, he ended up playing division two. I think division one, again, you got NFL aspirations. I think, I think you, you're, you're even more in on the guy that can best put you there. All right. Well, here we go. True or false coming up. It'll be the final segment of the Sooner Nation podcast. And the good news is for you, the listener, is that you get to hear someone else answer questions instead of me this week. Here's how this works. I've got five statements, Rich. Um, these aren't from the, the listeners. These are from me. Uh, and you're going to tell me if this statement is true or false. And you're going to tell me why you think it's true or false. And some of these things are going to be topics that we've already discussed in the first 45 to 50 minutes of this podcast. And now as we close it out with this final segment, we'll come back around and 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 give some, some final thoughts on these topics. Um, and I may or may not have an opinion or two. I'll, I'll add in there at the end. But here we go. Uh, number one, are you ready, sir? Ready as I'll ever be. Okay. Number one, uh, with Joe Castiglione addressing the vetting process for the Jeff Levy hire, the pushback with him having formerly been on the Baylor staff during the scandal, it should go away now. Jeff, Joe Castiglione has addressed it. He's talked about what they went through. He's talked about who they interviewed. So true or false, this pushback needs to go away now. Mm. heavy hitters buddy heavy hitters it is it is look here's i'm gonna say true um simply because the decision has already been made and we're making a lot of assumptions about what transpired and how much a guy like jeff levy actually knew Mm -hmm. at baylor you have to remember he was not art bryles despite being married to art bryles daughter he is not Art Bryles um, and how much knowledge he had of what was transpiring behind the scenes. That's something that we immediately say they knew everything. Um, But that's because we were learning everything all at the same time. And I wouldn't be shocked to, to have discovered some of those staff members at Baylor during that era, going along for the ride with those who were watching it transpire on the news and having no ideas beforehand. So despite that existing in their past, what I know about Jeff Levy is he continues to get jobs because he's a darn good football coach. Mm-hmm. Our Bryle son is in the exact same boat. He continues to get, get jobs because they're darn good football coaches. Mistakes have been made in the past. How much information he had up front is not, it's something that's unbeknownst to me and I can't hold that against someone despite what the bigger picture was that was happening at Baylor. So I am going to say that that one's true in the moment. Okay. And I, I, you, you can go back to two, the last two podcasts and you can get my, my opinions on this, my thoughts on this. Uh, you, you and I are lining up pretty close to each other on that, but I'm, I'm not going to uh, talk about it for a third podcast in a row because I've already 
I've already done it for the previous two podcasts. So let's move on to number two. Um, we, we've talked about recruiting, Rich. We've talked about the, the guys that are on campus this weekend making visits. We talked about some of the guys like Kobe McKenzie, uh, Gabe Dindy, who might be coming back around. Uh, we talked about new guys like Deshaun Brown and, and Alton uh, Tarver. But when it comes down to it, true or false, recruiting at Oklahoma will continue to be on the same level it was under Brent Ven- uh, prior to Brent Venables. Now it'll be on the same level with Brent Venables. For the first year, um, that one's going to be false for me. Um, and it's because all of this, all of the events that have taken place, the coaching shuffle that has happened, and this is for multiple universities, there's a lot that has changed for recruits at major universities, Notre Dame, LSU, Florida, Oklahoma, the defense at, at Oklahoma State, there's a lot that has changed and a lot that's transpired and a lot of different things to consider But I think what's ultimately going to happen is even if some of these players do re-up their commitment after decommitting and committing elsewhere, a vast majority of these individuals, of these players, of these recruits, of these prep stars, they had a list, they had a ranking. And when that situation changed, they went to their plan B. Mm -hmm. And that plan B may be what fits, fits best for them in this upcoming season and for the foreseeable future. But at the end of the day, Matt, I think it takes a dip under Brent Venables in the first year. And like I said, the sole reason for that is just how close all of this is happening during or at the just before, excuse me, the early signing period. I was shocked to log in and online look at the number of recruits that Oklahoma has and see that number at 12, whereas other universities, more specifically Texas, has over 20, whether that's 23 or 26 I'm blanking memory wise, but I know that they're over 20. And so seeing it Oklahoma at 12 recruits was a little bit baffling to me, eye popping um, and astonishing all, all at the same time. Does it mean that there are gaps that Oklahoma can fill? Does it mean that there are scholarships that have yet to be offered? Absolutely. But we'll see just how much ground this Oklahoma staff, this new Oklahoma staff can make up with some of the skill position players when we get to the late signing period, mm-hmm. if you will, or what's typically been known as national signing day, I'll have a better opinion of whether that one's really true or whether that one's really false when we get to February. But for now, like I said, Matt, I, I think Oklahoma takes a dip. Ergo, it's false. Oh, OU is going to sign more than 12 players uh, in, in, this oh, 20, yeah. in this 2022 recruiting. But I mean, I, I think you're, it's it's just I, I the think, first year for me. I'm gauging it on what's right. happening I, for 2022. Yeah, I think you're onto something for the the first year, maybe, but I, I still think this 2022 recruiting class is is going to be. I think it's just, they're going to be way above average. But anyway, that's just me. Um, let's move to the uh, from the gridiron to the hardwood. Um, Oklahoma with the the big win over Arkansas uh, two games ago or two games prior to that. The Sooners beat uh, nationally ranked Florida. But then they lost to Butler in between. Sandwiched in between those two SEC wins was a loss to Butler. So here we go. Uh, true or false, Rich? Despite losing to Butler, OU basketball should be ranked in the top 25 this week. I would say that that is an accurate statement. Um, Oklahoma has two wins over ranked opponents. I know that Florida is falling from grace. They lost to Maryland over the weekend as well on a – what, what I read is a last second shot, whether that's actually what happened or not. I didn't watch that game. So I don't know. I just know Maryland beat Florida, who was ranked number 20. Oklahoma previously beat them. Now at a neutral side, Oklahoma goes in and beats Arkansas. Um, that was really a statement win for me because Arkansas has played quality opponents. You know, they beat Cincinnati. They beat Kansas State, a Big 12 foe that Oklahoma will play towards the front end of the, the Big 12 slate. Needless to say, when you're garnering wins like that, I think it it overcomes the loss um, and really puts that on the back burner. And what it came down to for me, Matt, was that Oklahoma just didn't know how to close out that game against Butler. They seem to have corrected some of their issues because that potential pitfall existed against Arkansas as well. And when you see that they're shoring up that specific weakness, it puts a lot of confidence in me to put them in the top 25, assuming that I get a vote, which I don't. So it's true for me. I agree. I I think it's true. Here's what I said about this game on Saturday. Um, 
Had OU not lost to Butler, I think they'd be a top 15 team uh, on this coming week. But with the loss to Butler, they're going to be um, they're going to be on the fringe between 20. They'll either be between 20 and others receiving votes, in my opinion. But I, I, I think I think that Butler game could have guaranteed them a spot in the top 15. And now you just kind of hope that they crack it um, after beating Arkansas. Um, good analysis there on the, on, on those though, Rich. Um, let's move on. Uh, we're going to stay with basketball though uh, to number four. I'm just going to throw this out there. Pretty simple. True or false, Rich. Oklahoma basketball does have the potential to win the Big 12. Um, man, I, I think that's just such a tall task. I'm going to go with false on that one. And here's the reason why, Matt, is we know that Oklahoma each and every year, I'm going to make an analogy with football, is expected to compete for the Big 12 championship. And oftentimes that championship runs through Norman, regardless of how many losses Oklahoma has on the season. We've seen Oklahoma take two losses early on and turn around and claim that that Big 12 title. Kansas is that team in the Big 12 when it comes to basketball. They're always in the running for that Big 12 title regular season as well as tournament champions. The level of recruiting obviously is at a different level at a school like Kansas, which is largely considered one of the blue bloods of basketball but Matt I I think Oklahoma can be competitive as I've said and I'll continue to say is that they can shock some teams better teams than what Oklahoma is considered with quote-unquote lesser recruits or or recruits that aren't aren't as well known the Groves brothers being two of those who I think attribute to this team in ways that are unimaginable whether that's from the day-to-day or what we're actually seeing in the games, I've talked about the height differential that Oklahoma has addressed with the Groves brothers. And even in the last year of Lon Kruger recruiting players to play at the University of Oklahoma, they've overcome, like I said, just a lot of the shortcomings that we've seen here as of late. And when you get a group in there that one can be physical, Elijah Harkless setting the, the standard for me in that I think he's a phenomenal defender who is very underrated and now he's finding his offensive legs and he's really contributing on both sides of the floor for this team. Matt, you said last year that he was the most NBA ready player on this roster. He's electing to stay, does not go into the NBA draft or declare himself as draft eligible for some of the, the franchises that are looking at drafting players. Instead, he's a Norman playing under a different coach and finding, like I said, a lot of success on the offensive side of the ball, which only benefits him moving forward. But again, he sets the tone for me, physicality. Oklahoma, with the shot selection, something I've mentioned as well with this inside-out game, they're going to challenge teams. I just don't know that they can do it at the level of Kansas. I agree. Or Baylor. I, no, I agree. And and even throw Texas in there. Uh, Texas is, is probably a notch down below both Kansas and Baylor. Uh, but I, I think we do have to pump the brakes on this. Uh, yeah, they've got two wins over top 15 programs. Um, but when you when you look at Florida and and you look at Arkansas, here's what they have in common. Not only were they uh, top 25 teams when OU beat them, but for both of them, they hadn't played a true road game. And Arkansas still has not played a true road game. They were 9-0 coming into Tulsa. That's not going to Norman. That's 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 a neutral site where they had a kind of a, a home court advantage, if you will, with the fan base. Uh, Florida was their first time to be at on a visitor's court when they came to Norman. So are they good wins for OU? Absolutely, they're good wins for OU. But are they transcending type wins that make you think that OU can be a a front runner or a player in the Big 12 championship race? I don't think so. I do think OU can compete for top five in the Big 12. I don't think they'll they'll compete for top one or two in the Big 12 at this point. But you got to like what you're seeing. Uh, from Porter Mosier in year one, regardless. Um, all right, here we go. Last one. Uh, last but not least, going switching back to football. Uh, we are still a week out from game week, so we will start bringing in topics about the Alamo Bowl. Um, and this is something that you and I have not had a chance to talk about either. But let's just throw this out there, and this will be our first Alamo Bowl conversation. Rich, true or false, with four defensive players at this point saying that they're going to go pro, OU is at a OU is at a severe disadvantage against Oregon and the Alamo Bowl. True or false? I'm going to go with false on that one. Um, Oklahoma did recruit a lot of young 
and talented players who assumed major responsibilities on the defensive side of the ball. I know that players have opted out of the bowl game in preparation for what's ahead for them. More specifically, as you've mentioned, it would be the combine. It would be the NFL draft in and of itself. But to say that Oklahoma is at a disadvantage, I look at some of the young talent, a name that I've already mentioned on this podcast, a guy like a Danny Stutzman Mm -hmm. who can step in at that linebacker position and immediately make you feel as though there's no kind of drop off. I feel like that potential exists there in the secondary as well. It's really the the middle of the defensive line where you don't have that. So I, what are the names that are, that are opting out of this bowl game? The one I know of is Brian Asamoa. Yeah. Well here, and here's where this is where I believe Oklahoma is. I don't, I wouldn't say a severe disadvantage, but here's where I think this is going to hurt. OU. all these guys that are not playing are guys that are going to be at the point of attack. So you're, you're not going to have Brian Osamoa. You're not going to have Nick Benito. You're not going to have Isaiah Thomas. You're not going to have Perry on Winfrey. Those are three. Those are four guys who help you win at the point of attack uh, against an Oregon offense. And, and I watched both of the games uh, where Oregon played Utah and got beat soundly against Utah. And the reason why was because they lost at the point of attack uh, along that line of scrimmage. And so there are guys like Isaiah Coe. I think this really puts him in the spotlight and, and is a great audition for, for next year. Jalen Redmond, uh, you know, is, is going to still be there and be a part of this. And you're going to see younger guys that are going to step up. And we'll talk more about those guys uh, and their responsibilities as we get closer to the game. But the reality is you're losing a lot of veteran leadership there uh, at the point of attack the one thing that i'm considering as well or at least attempting to is this knowledge that oregon hasn't really been healthy throughout a majority of the season when we look at yes they played in a conference championship but is it enough time to get some of these players back onto the field into 100 percent capacity of what they're capable of I, i don't know that that's a resounding yes from me so even though this oklahoma defense may be shorthanded because of some of the bigger names like a Nick Benito sitting out of the bowl game, Oregon's very much in the same position on the offensive side of the ball. We saw them at, at full strength against Ohio State. I think Oregon was capable of competing with anybody in the country after that. And then, of course, injuries, different things that sideline players throughout the season took their toll on this mm-hmm. Oregon program. So I do have questions about them as well. I, I think it comes out to be a wash. And at the end of the day, the better team is going to win. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> All right. So that's it for this edition of the Sooner Nation podcast. Uh, again, uh, thanks so much for tuning in. Thanks for your participations through comments and Twitter. You can find us every day on the internet, heartland-sports.com. You can find us on Twitter at Sports Heartland on Twitter. He's Rich. I'm Matt. Have a fantastic week this week, wherever it takes you. Boomer Sooner, everybody.